right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. Podcast. So buckle up, buttercup. Welcome back to another episode of the Team Never Quit podcast. We're kind of doing it a little different around here today. A little <laughs> Team Never Quit, She Never Quit action. We've got yeah. Melanie. Thank you, Melanie, for being here. Kara, yes. a behind-the-scenes person that we don't get to see or hear from often. She's hanging out with us today. And we've got John back here doing video with me. Okay. So uh, yeah. excited to be back. Uh, we got a Patreon question to kick this thing off with, which is, what is something you did as a teenager that makes you cringe now? Hmm. Uh. Sarah, do you want to answer Sarah, yeah, that you got one? Something? Seems <laughs> like she's got one. I don't know. Uh, I did a lot of like mismatched colors. Mm. Like my clothes never really went together at all. Yeah. Which now I'm laughing because I kind of do the same thing from <laughs> time to time as an adult. But yeah, I mean, I rocked like side ponytails and like different colored socks and like Punky like, Brewster. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like I wanted to be Punky Brewster. I did too. I even remember asking my mom, like, why am I not Punky Brewster to the point that she crocheted or stitched the hat, the <laughs> rainbow hat. Remember yeah. the Punky hat that oh, came yeah. down and then became a scarf? Yeah. Kara, you might be too young for this. Yeah, Kara's yeah, too young, but know. I'm I'm 23, <laughs> so the punky is my era for sure. I also wore yeah. mixed match stuff, and my daughter has never seen Punky Brewster, but she naturally is like that. She mix matches everything, and she also does like the side pony and all that. It's really fun for sure. to watch. Yeah. Um, I think my cringeworthy thing is hairspray. Uh, as a teenager, had a lot of it. Uh, oh, yeah, the big bang. Yeah, yeah. Since then, mm-hmm. have never, ever really done anything to my hair. I wash. Sometimes I brush. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I air dry. Yeah. I'm very, very low maintenance. But as a teenager, I felt like it took me like an hour to get ready. Oh and that was that is not me as an adult at all. So that's probably my cringeworthy Kara, what you got? Uh, so I'm like kind of a 90s kid. So I would say like silver and like blue eyeshadows. When oh, they were a thing. Nice. It was like that was everybody's go-to. Everybody had just silver. Like no other tones. Like no, <laughs> just silver. Silver and mascara. And I'm looking, picturing I, Matrix. Like very metallic. Yeah, those pictures, I'm thinking like robot. Those yeah, pictures don't look good when you look back at them. So, John, you got one. Oh man, I used to wear those uh, <clears throat> hideous Jinko jeans, the giant leg. Those Jinko jeans. Pockets. I don't even know what that is. They're oh like, man. They're, oh yeah. They're like they're huge leg jeans. They're huge like huge leg jeans. I don't even. It's like bell bottoms for it's men, but the um, bell is all the way from the top yeah. to the bottom. It's like they're bell bottoms bell. on steroids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, exactly yeah. Oh my gosh. Think kilt, like a double leg kilt. <laughs> yes, yeah, except for each leg. <laughs> okay. Mine was definitely the like Eminem highlights. You you used to take me, Melanie, yeah. when I was a kid so to I've go known get Andrew these. Since he was a kid, yeah. Melanie yeah. let him let him make, <laughs> make that choice. I, I grew up in the I grew up in the hood, okay. <laughs> and so that was like the thing. Like I needed to fit the bill. Yeah. And for me, being a white kid. In a rough neighborhood, it he was, was the all about the only white the, kid in the whole neighborhood. He related to it. Is right. I, mean, I, yeah. needed, I needed the Eminem hair, you know? Yeah. yeah. So I would, sense. I would yeah. pick him up and take him for like a day at the hair salon <laughs> or whatever. So high maintenance then. <laughs> Meanwhile, she's wow. not high maintenance now. <laughs> That's so funny. That's funny. That's a good one. Well, yeah. hey, you guys, make sure to check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash teamneverquit. We've got a lot of great things in store over there. We've got some cool swag. We've got some Ask Me Anythings with our hosts. We've got some bonus content with our guests. There's just a lot of cool stuff happening over there, so make sure to check that out. That's patreon.com slash teamneverquit. We have got a great, incredible guest lined up for you guys. Sarah Wilkinson is the wife of Navy SEAL Chad Wilkinson, and after 21 years of service, Chad took his own life, which is the result of compounding effects of a blast wave injury, TBI, and PTSD. 
He left behind Sarah and their two teenage children. She displays a strength like none other. Not only is the spouse of a Navy SEAL who has deployed constantly, but also the strength that displays to this day, sharing her and Chad's story. Sarah fully intends to use her voice and her story to change the narrative and the number of the epidemic of veteran suicide while honoring her husband and all those killed in the line of duty. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, you guys. It's great to see you. We're very, very happy to have you on. And for our listeners, Kara is behind every social media post. So there you can finally get a face to the name. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. We've got, she does all of our social media. Um, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on. We, um, I'll tell our listeners, Marcus and Morgan got tied up today. They are, they were supposed to be doing this interview and they couldn't, couldn't make it on time. Marcus might bust through the door. And he will bust through the door. Yeah. At some point during the interview. So I just want to warn everyone if that happens, that's why. Um, and if it doesn't happen, it's because they just didn't get out of their, uh, their thing on time. So um, I am so excited to have you on. I, I feel like I've met so many people on both coasts, um, but I haven't had the pleasure of getting to hang out with you before. So getting to meet you in this way, um, hopefully we'll be able to meet in person at some point. And, um, and For sure, our circles overlap, but yeah, we they, haven't met face-to-face yeah, for some reason. Yeah. yeah, our circles definitely overlap. And um how we do it on this podcast, we really just try to get to know you. We have our listeners get to know you as a person and, um, and then, you know, what brought you to where you're at now. So if you don't mind taking it back and telling us just a little bit about you, um, before we were on, you were mentioning that you were a military brat. So if you could just tell us a little bit about that and get started in your story. Yeah, I was, I was born and raised to a dad in the military. He was in the Marine Corps. So my whole life, I have moved around. I went to 15 schools before I graduated. Um, and that was, that was the tempo of my life, constantly moving. I liked it I, because I, I think people like what they know. I didn't know any other life. So I'm very used to moving, picking up, making new friends. And um, I met my husband when we were kids. So the first day of high school, we met each other at a, a DOD Department of Defense high school where not very many exist anymore. The one we attended no longer exists, but um, he too, his dad was military stationed on that base. We met and just kind of stayed together from there on out. How awesome. Dated and, in high school. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So, so he, he always wanted to be a SEAL and I, again, kind of just followed the same life I was used to. I went from being a, a military kid to a military spouse. That is so cool. So when y'all met, was it instant sparks or did you see him and you're like, eh, how'd that go? No, for me, for me, it was instant. I don't, I don't know what he would say. He probably <laughs> would say no. <laughs> Come but, on. Uh, no, it was the first day of school. It was PE class. And we were sitting on the bleachers, we went to a very, very small school. So when there were new kids, because there was always an influx of new kids at the beginning of the year, everyone talked about who the new kids were. So they kept talking about the Wilkinson brothers. And I was like, like big deal. But yeah. when he sat down on the bleachers in front of me and they called his name for roll call and he turned his head to the side and said, here, and I saw his profile, I was done. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah, so did he, did y'all start talking that day and just becoming friends or how was your, your courtship? No, no, no. We had, we had, we kind of ran in the same circle. He was a year older than me too. Uh-huh. So I was a freshman. He was a sophomore. Uh, we had similar friends and really for the first two years, uh, we were just friends. Um, I had dated another boy. He dated another girl, but by the end of my sophomore year, we started dating. Yeah. That's awesome. So, um, did you have to move out of that high school and go to another one or were you, were you able to go to yeah. that one the whole time? No, he, he was able to stay and graduated from there. But after my sophomore year, we moved, um, about six hours away to another, I went to another military school or school on a military base, uh, for my junior and senior year. So he would drive down on the weekends, his parents, I mean, in high school would let him drive like six, six and a half hours. Oh yeah. My gosh. And That's see me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my parents would say, 
they've said this to me many times, but we just knew it was just different. There was just something different about the two of you. Um, And that, that long distance carried on for a long time. So he obviously joined the military. I ended up going to Florida, went to college down in Florida. He ended up getting stationed on the East coast. And even then he would finish work on a Friday and get in his car and drive 14 hours. I went to the university of Florida and we would spend Saturday. He'd get there, you know, Saturday morning. And we'd hang out and he'd turn around on Sunday and he'd drive back. Wow. <laughs> now that's true love. So, yeah. There's not right? many guys that would do that. Marcus no, would not have done that. <laughs> How many hours in a car? <laughs> I definitely would not do that. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> it's a long drive. Yeah, that's it's awesome. a long drive. Yeah. 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 That's so, definitely that's... a testament to his love for you. I hope. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it <laughs> is. It is for it's sure. Good. So did y'all yeah. get married soon after that? Yeah, so we uh, probably dated, I think it was somewhere around seven and a half years. Uh, and then we got married. Um, we eloped at first, just yeah. in the backyard of someone's house in Virginia Beach. Um, you know, as many military people know, sometimes they just get married before that military person goes off on deployment or whatever. Right. Uh, and then we had a big wedding. Um, we were always East Coasters. He was always stationed on the East Coast, uh, except for a short stint out West. But uh, And we had two kids pretty quickly. So we were really young. Um, I think I was 23 when my daughter was born. And, uh, and then about two and a half years later, we had a son. And just, again, continued in that military life until, you know, he decided to get, we decided to get out of the military for a little bit and take a break. And we did that. And it was good until it wasn't good. It just wasn't in them to be doing a civilian job. So we came back and that's what sent us back to the West Coast. Oh, so he he was out for a while and then went back. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think just being military kids, we kind of thought that we would offer our children something different by being home all the time and that kind of consistency. And I what we both realized is it's not it's not in our DNA yeah. to have that tempo of a life. It's not wrong by any means right. um, to anybody who chooses it. But for us, it, w- it wasn't for us. So, um, yeah. And so we ended up going actually out to the West Coast for a short period of time and before basically pivoting and coming right back east. So, so what year did he go into Bud's? Originally, uh, I think he started in maybe '95. He graduated in '96. He was okay. Bud's class 204. Oh, okay. Um, and then and how long was he in before he got out? Ten years. He did. Ten ten, years. He was in ten years, uh, and we were out for just under three years, like two and a half years. And thankfully, because of the state of our world and post 9-11 and all the things that were happening, this was around 2007, a lot of people don't understand how he was able to just like kind of come right back in. Yeah. But I think looking at someone who had already been, you know, an operator for 10 years with some experience under their belt, he was able to come back and um, not really lose much time or just a little bit behind in terms of rank, but. Yeah, well, and in two thousand, for the most part, make it up. Two thousand and seven, it was still really, really um, hot out there. So, oh yeah, it's not like you know the war had died down. The war had actually ramped up at that point. So, right. Yeah. What was the the time like between when he had first gone out and when he went back in? Like, what was that like? Think about two thousand. Yeah, two thousand and four to two thousand and seven. That's a lot was going on in the in the war on both, um, Iraq and Afghanistan. So yeah, I would imagine there was a pull to be there with the the guys, you know, like, did you ever have to deal with something like that? Like, Oh, for sure. I mean, I remember I, you know, everybody has those memories in your mind that are just so clear and transparent. I, 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 distinctly remember watching him sit on the couch and watch the news when red wings happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, he just is, he just looked uh, defeated, deflated, yeah. just so I think, and that wasn't long after we had left, you know, but 
as soon as we got out, I would say we both, we would look at each other at night and like, what are we doing? What are we doing? Yeah. But we both are pretty, um, very driven, committed people. And we had made a choice and we were doing the best thing we could to make the choice that we made work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was good. It, it, it was a good life by most people's standards. It just, um, Chad and I both kind of lived with the perspective that you, you have to live your life in a way that really fills you. Yeah. Some people can just go to a job and check the box and do that job and they fulfill their life in other ways off the clock. But for us, a lot of our passion is found within our actual work that we do. And, and that was the case for him for sure. And, um, so while he had a great job in the civilian life, it really wasn't one that necessarily filled his bucket by any means. What industry and did he choose? What was he doing? He was he was in pharmaceutical research. Oh wow! So he wore a suit and tie and sat in a cubicle. Oh, no. oh my and goodness! He, oh no! <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Is uh, that might have been a part again, of the reason? Yeah. <laughs> no, sorry, so sorry, that, that might have been a part of the reason, right? Like cubicle. Yeah, that he yeah. wanted to go yeah. back. Yeah. To well, it. and I, I've told this story many times, but it always makes me laugh because one of the last trips he took with the guys was a jump trip, and he would say that they kept giving him a hard time, and they'd like fall out of the plane and be like, "You're not doing this with your pharmaceutical buddies," <laughs> you know, and like stuff like that. So, you know, pretty pretty big shift. Yeah. Um, not just in the work that was being done, but the culture that yeah. you're amongst, right? And the community and the work environment. Like there's there's so many facets to it. So um, yeah, good job, good life. It just wasn't for us. So we came back. Yeah. So was it hard um, for him to get back in? He didn't, he didn't have to go through buds again, did he? No, but he had to go through, uh, well, it's it was called STT. It was called SQT, yeah. SEAL Qualification Training, SEAL Technical Training. So training that they do after buds. So that's what took us back out to California. So he hadn't deployed for close to three years and they wanted him to go back through, which is about, a, I think, a six-month course. Uh-huh. Um which I think proved really good for Chad because he's a natural teacher. And he's, I always say he's very good at teaching you what he knew without making you feel dumb or less than. He's a very good teacher. And so to go back and then be in a classroom with a bunch of young guys who just finished buds, I think it was probably, hopefully, maybe a win-win for everyone right? The young guys could ask him questions, but he could also benefit by sharing, you know, his experience, at least up to that point with them. What class was that, that they were getting out of going into STT? I want to, I really want to say it was like two, I want to say it was like 264. I don't know. I I can't quite remember, but I, I really want to say it was a 260 something. Every time I, I, I meet, a, a, I say young guy because they're younger than me, that's like 260s to 270s. They always say it was the last hard class. <laughs> it was that's the last. They, all say. They, they, all they literally say all say that, yeah. but especially the younger guys when when I'm talking to them, they're always like, "It it was the last." They're and they're so serious. <laughs> it's so funny. I'm like, y- you and everyone else's. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, so true, so true. That well, that's uh, really neat that he got to do that. Did he ever want to actually go back and be a buds instructor after that? You know. Not we talked about it a few times. I don't know if he really wanted to do it, but I wanted him to do it. Yeah. Uh, one because I really love Southern California as yeah. I'm on my way there now. Yeah. Uh, but just also to have a little bit of a break, and I realize it's still a job, and there's a large demand being a buds instructor. But I just had hoped it would give us a little more of a home life. Um, yeah. It just didn't really fall in the cards for us. So yeah. Didn't work. 
it seems like it's a natural for some people. Like some some of the guys are forced to do it, um, but some right. of the guys like it is really a knack that they have, and they're really good at training these guys up and getting yeah. good guys in. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So no, we kind of always stayed on the on on the rotation. You yeah. know, just deployments. So you go Lots back to them, Virginia but. Beach. It's 2007. Um, did he get, de- he got deployed again after that? Yeah. So after he left, uh, finished STT, I was flip, flip them, yeah. but I think we all know what we're talking <laughs> yeah. about. Um, we went back out East to a, to a team and then it just kind of started. And that was, that's when it just got busy. So this was early 2008. We found ourselves back in Virginia Beach. And for the next 10 years, that's pretty much what we did. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, so that would have – he would have gone through extortion out there. Yeah. And yeah. that – I mean, yeah. for anyone listening – A like, lot of funerals. Yeah, yeah, a lot of funerals. And really, I never lived in Virginia Beach, but my brother-in-law, Morgan, was living there at the time. And it was – a very dark and gloomy place to go to during that time period. Mm. It really, I mean, I don't know if it was just because of the community that I was going to or what, but it seemed like the whole town just had this dark cloud over it because there was so much loss and so much mm-hmm. sadness and anger and confusion. Um, I really feel like there was just a lot of darkness in Virginia Beach at that time. Yeah, that's that's interesting to hear you say that. Uh, just c- having not lived there, I I think when we first went back, having known Virginia Beach for ten years prior, it was really good when we first got there, and there was a a really good kind of community base among among the families. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like I said, two thousand eight. But then fast forward a few years, it all just kind of shifted, and I can't tell you exactly what happened I can just give you kind of a list right as we know there were there were a lot of losses yeah there was a lot of changes in like the tempo at which they did things Mm -hmm. obviously there's always changes in leadership and so at least from my perspective it really shifted from a place that had a strong community base to people really kind of stuck more to themselves. Yeah. And, and maybe, maybe I feel that because that's what we did. You know, we became more isolated. Uh, and Chad was never a big people person to begin with. He was a very, very quiet guy. Mm-hmm. I always say it's one of the things I loved about him. Um, <laughs> never the loudest guy in the room, quiet, uh, not quiet, like soft spoken, but right. just reserved, to taking himself. it in. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so things started to shift and we spent less time with other people and and he always kind of operated when he was gone, he was gone. And when he was home, he was home. And if he was home, he was home with us, the kids and I. So Yeah, and I was a complete outsider going going to visit at the time. And I started going there before um, extortion. I mean, I, we got married the year before that. Um, and to me, it there was a drastic difference. Like, as soon yeah. and I flew out the morning of extortion when we, when we first heard the news. I took got the, on the first plane because um, we had friends that had lost um, their husbands. So we went out there. My son was like three months old or something like that at the time. So literally, oh, wow. I'm packing him in a baby Bjorn. Um, and it it really did feel like there was just this curtain of darkness and. Every time I went out there after that, it felt like that. Um, yeah. So I can't imagine living there and and just being in it because there was just this huge shift of emotion in everybody. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that that's crazy. Um, so how was how was life like for y'all after extortion? Did he keep deploying after that? Oh yeah. 100%. Okay. He kept going. Um, 
Yeah, I think it's kind of like, I think it's just really hard to hop off that hamster wheel. Right. Uh, Hopefully people don't take offense to it, but that's kind of how I see it. You know, you're on this massive hamster wheel and it's really hard to hop off unless someone tells you to hop off and no one really tells you to hop off. You know, it's up to them to say like, hey, I need to take a break. I'm going to step down. I'm going to move over here and do something different. Um, At least for Chad, he didn't seem willing to really do that or want to do that. Um, So, yeah, we kept pressing on. And then finally, it was about a, I can't quite remember, I want to say maybe a year or less than a year before he died, um, he did shift jobs. So he switched to just a different role, mm-hmm. um, which was supposed to, as I was told, keep him home more. Uh, but that didn't really seem to be the case. His travel was just the same as being in a in a squadron. So, oh wow, yeah. So, what did you do as a wife and a mom to kind of take some of that weight off of you know just family life? Were you working or? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I worked for CrossFit for 12 years. So I I actually just resigned March of this year. So starting in 2010, I, I was a CrossFit trainer and I'd opened a CrossFit gym in Virginia beach when we moved back, uh, in 2008. And then I got the opportunity to intern with, with the corporate level and teach their seminars. And so I did that. I ended up selling our gym because, you know, you have a gym you do this job where you travel, you have two young kids and a husband who's in the military is a lot. Yeah. Um, so I got rid of the gym, still, still coach there locally. Uh, but I traveled the world. So I, you know, I, our lives, it's hard to explain to people the tempo of our life because as he worked and traveled and went 110 miles an hour, so did I. And when I look back, there's obviously a lot of regret that I have, but, um, you know, I would be in India one weekend and come home and be in Orlando, Florida the next weekend and then go to Chicago and then go to China and then go. Um, oh, wow. And that's what I did for years. And I, I loved it so much like Chad chose a profession that filled his bucket. This absolutely filled my bucket, but it came at a pretty big price. Um, and unfortunately, it came at a price that I couldn't really see at the time because being that military kid, I'm pretty independent. Mm -hmm. And while I think Chad and I were very supportive of one another, it was a little bit like, Hey, you go do your job and take care of your stuff. I'm going to do my job, take care of my stuff and take care of the house. And like, we'll be good. And so a lot of times it was kind of like ships passing in the night, so to speak, you know? Um, I mean, I remember coming home from a trip and bringing my suitcase in the house and his bags were packed by the door because he was leaving the next morning. So it was like, I dropped my bag and then he leaves. So, um, I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah. I can't change it, but I absolutely regret it. Do you mind talking about um, Chad and some of the things that he went through? Um, yeah. Yeah, we can talk about it. I mean, I don't really want to talk about the day. Yeah. But, um, he, uh, people often ask, you know, were there signs and symptoms? Mm-hmm. What was he doing? I wish I could tell you it was this and then this and then this. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's just not how it went for us. There are other people that have lived the same life and their, you know, spouse uh, or loved one expressed concern and, 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 and being scared and thoughts. Chad didn't do that. Um, but he, he definitely was sleeping really bad. That was probably one of the first things that happened even starting years prior. Uh, but and I don't want to assume you experienced this, but, you know, being with someone that's lived this life, 
it's really easy to to put them in this bucket. Yeah. You're like, well, that none of them sleep good. Yeah. You know, you ask otherwise. Yeah, he doesn't sleep good. Oh, okay. You know, he would get headaches. His eyes were always really sensitive, but he also had really beautiful blue eyes. So mm-hmm. the guy always wore sunglasses. So mm-hmm. it's like, well, are you sensitive to the light because of something? Or is it just because your eyes are light and it, you know, our whole family has blue eyes. It's sensitive. Yeah. Um, but he did start put, putting on weight, mm-hmm. which again, we would joke, you know, he was in his forties now. And, um, so there were those little things that yeah. happened. Uh, and he, oh, we got dogs. It's okay. It's okay. Sorry, team. That's okay. Don't they sound vicious though? They are <laughs> vicious. They're not vicious. They look like teddy bears. Um, but he, and I, and I share this because he, he climbed Aconcagua in January of 2018 and Aconcagua is the second largest summit in the world. It's in Argentina. So it was his goal to climb the seven summits. It sits at 23,000 feet and some change. So he was gone for about three to four weeks, I think climbing this mountain. And if I would have known then what I know now (laughs) is that I will never know, but I do believe that him climbing that mountain exacerbated any brain injury he had. So we knew he had TBIs, Mm. um, but going up to such a high elevation and minimizing the amount of oxygen that serves your brain is not really great for anyone. People do it a lot. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of alpinists and, and people that live at high elevations, but if you start to do some reading, people with brain injuries should not be doing that. Um, So that was in January and he came home and we went on a family vacation in June and we went to the Grand Canyon and we bopped around Arizona and he didn't even want to leave the hotel room. Mm. Um, You know, we're on a family vacation with our two kids. And I, again, I don't know if it's being naive or being oblivious. I'm not really sure, but I just kind of was like, come on, you know, like, get up. Let's go do something fun. And when I look back, more or less stopped smiling, um, which I didn't realize. But when I look at our family pictures and stuff, I mean, he, he just stopped smiling. And so anyway, there, there was just this host of very small things that would happen that you could easily excuse. But what I try to talk about and make people aware, especially especially spouses. And I, I often say wives and I say wives because my community is seals. So I only know them, you know, a bunch of guys. However, with that in mind, the military is comprised of men, women. And I believe that men and women can all suffer from these brain injuries and blast waves and PTS, PTSD, et cetera. What's really important for spouses and or I always say first responders because not everybody's married. So whoever your person is in your life, yeah, it's really important for us to educate them on the ways that these little things might be signs of something so much bigger that's happening. Yeah. And I do see it as my job as a spouse is to safeguard his health. <laughs> That was my job. It's it's really anybody's job in, in my belief as as a in a partnership is to is to take care of one another and try to keep them safe. And that includes this. So um so yeah, there wasn't ever one thing. It was just kind of this series of kind of falling apart. Um and his hypervigilance went through the roof. Um so, yeah. And I would say in October, beginning of October, 2018, he had done some really weird things that were very out of character. Um, and three weeks later he was gone. Mm. And of the other family members I know that have lost someone, uh, the same way, they all have kind of echoed that same sentiment for some of them. There were much bigger, uh, signs and and symptoms being expressed, but they all have kind of said there was just this really short window of time. Maybe it was three weeks for me. It was two months for another spouse 
that all of a sudden he just kind of went sideways and, and he never came back. And, um, I would love to one day have research find what that pivot point is. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure we'll ever know. Um, but I've talked to a researcher who has studied blast wave injuries for years. And she agrees that there's, there's just some point that they hit that it's like the point of no return. Um, so is, do you think that that can be helped? Even if we do know the signs and everything, like say I recognize it or whoever, you know, a spouse listening recognizes that, okay, yeah. I see the same behavior in my husband. What, what can they do? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, so just as a backstory, like TBIs can be seen on imaging, right? You can get a, a scan of your brain. But um, what a lot of the military is seeing is CTE mm -hmm. or interface astroglial scarring. And interface astroglial scarring is what Chad had. And it, and it comes mainly from blast wave injury. So instead of like head to head comp impact, like like NFL players, you hear CTE and boxers and our and our military suffer from that too. Both of those things cannot be seen in the living. Yeah. They're found post-mortem. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to try to sit here and talk about something that's, that's beyond my bandwidth. I'm not a, a neuroscientist or anything. But if someone is exhibiting signs and symptoms of PTS, PTSD, the symptoms attributed with TBI, the, the only thing you really can do is manage those symptoms. So it would come down to really focusing on sleep. I think sleep is incredibly paramount to a lot of our health. Focus on their nutrition. Are they eating okay? Minimizing the things that are exacerbate their frustration. One of the things that sent Chad through the roof for, for us were our dogs. They would bark and it, he would just go from zero to a hundred. He just he could not handle it. And so, you know, it's kind of a tall order. And maybe you have a whole list of things. I've got to get them to sleep better. I've got to get them to eat better. I've got to get them to drink more water. They need more sunlight. Um, but trying to do the best you can with what you've got is better than nothing. Yeah. So getting those people to have a, have a real open conversation about what they're feeling and what's bothering them and then what that teammate can do to help support and or alleviate frustration um is at least a start it's a start but it's so hard i was gonna say oh, it's so hard how especially do you get with those types of guys yeah to, like art i mean know. specifically the seal <laughs> yes. community they're right. so hard-headed and and i know a lot of wives that have the same issues with their husbands not just sleep but sleep also can we call it moods right through your research. Have you seen anything that does help the guys sleep and help with their, I moods? mean, there's a lot out there that talks about just it's almost like setting your circadian rhythms. So there is research I've been reading about, about, you know, waking up in the morning and, and really spending some time in the sun, not, not don't look at the sun, right. but getting natural light, uh, minimizing caffeine, you know, minimizing blue light, all the things we already know. Most of the guys that I've come across that seem as though they've, they've found a good, a good way, a good path, they're pretty regimented. Yeah. So shocking, right? Right. In, ter in terms of regimented and like, you know, I've got a friend who he wakes up early in the morning, he drinks his coffee, he goes out with the sun and absorbs it. He writes in a journal, he meditates. Uh, he usually does some sort of cold plunge at some point and it sounds like a lot of maintenance, but he, he has said, he just knows that that's what he needs mm -hmm. to be like fairly okay throughout the day. And, you know, there's so much talk right now about mental health in the world is just in, in general. Right. Um, and in, and it's interesting because there's so much talk also about physical health. There's so many people out there talking about fitness and exercise and do this and eat this. And generally speaking, you know, if you exercise, you're going to see benefit. 
but the mind is complex, right? And everybody's mind is, is, is made up a little bit differently and is impacted by the life we've lived. And so to some degree, you have to take an account that it's not going to be a one size fits all regarding the mind, the same way it sort of is regarding a gym membership, right? Yeah. And I think it's, 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 so incredibly important that people put that value on that mental health and and do that deep dive on themselves of of what are the things you need to function optimally and especially with guys like this as we know they train with the best of the best yeah i mean it's baffling sometimes it's like they're going to skydive they're going to go skydive with the national team mm, that's yeah. going to teach them all kinds of cool stuff they want to do jujitsu. They're going to go down to Brazil and hang out with like the best Brazilian jujitsu people. But like, where is the teaching happening regarding just like your, I mean, yes, they have mental focus as we know, right. as you know, operators and like yeah. getting stuff done, but on the back ends, because they serve shoulder to shoulder with a teammate for 20 some years, but the ultimate teammate the number one teammate is that spouse or first mm-hmm. responder yeah. I've talked about. And so it's how do we transition these men and women in the military from a certain mindset and, and operative status to how am I going to continue living my life independently and as fully regardless of my history and my backstory? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to say, like, in the last year, Marcus has gotten to be really good at taking time for himself, and he's been doing breathing techniques, and he has a a regiment every morning very similar to your friend that you mentioned, and if he doesn't do it, he's off for that day. Like, he has Mm -hmm. to have this routine in the morning, and I have made adjusted my routine to make sure that he has his time and the kids all know, like everybody knows, don't bother dad during his, his morning routine or whatever, because a lot of these guys need that. And I think, um, any spouse that's listening right now, maybe, you know, your wife or your husband just needs that wake up and a little bit of time to themselves, whether yeah. like Marcus every single morning walks outside and says the rosary. He's got it in his hand. He's out for 30 minutes and then he comes back. He just has to do that. Um, but it's like as soon as the sun's up, then he comes back and does his coffee. It's different for everybody. Sometimes, you know, they might go do yoga or they might have a meditation or whatever it is, just allowing yeah. that space for your spouse to. And you have to take it for yourself, too. It's not mm-hmm. like you take on all the responsibilities and just let them have something. You need time for yourself as well. But I think in in life, in marriage, maybe we need to rethink our routines and for sure. allow for space for each of us to have that time for ourselves, whatever it is that we need. That might mean, you know, the wife needs a bubble bath at night or whatever it is. It can be anything, but just some time to yourself that allows you to unwind Mm -hmm. and decompress a little bit. Yeah, I agree. Sometimes I wonder about like the, when the guys are in and they're training so hard and learning all this stuff that they do to be operators, if they were able to learn some of that other stuff that's going to help them when they do transition and they get out. Like, how could that change their life, their spouse's life, their kid's life, if they were training just as hard on that stuff as well? Right. I mean, I just, one, I don't think that's really encouraged or promoted. Right. And I've already, I've said this before, the military is very reactive. They're not proactive. So it just kind of goes against the way they operate to think about what's going to be left behind of these guys and and girls 20 years later, we might be getting to that because there's a lot of pushback and a lot of things happening, but we're probably still far away. And then at the same time, it's like how much bandwidth do they have to do that with? Because what they are being asked to do is kind of a lot. Um, And in many ways, if we, if we foster, this kind of mental resilience, I think the argument, I don't agree with it, but the argument is, <laughs> yeah. 
it it goes against what they're the doing. machines we're yes, trying to build. Of course, you know, I can't have these big tough guys be all soft and mushy sometimes. Yeah, right. yeah. and again, I, I I think there can be a balance. Yeah, and I think it would be great if guys could be invested in it while they're still in. And I think I hate to put so much pressure on spouses, but as we know, you know, people say Navy SEAL and they're just perfect. Like, Whoa, those guys, they're so cool. And I'm like, yeah, they're cool. Have you met their wives? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I mean, you know, you, you do have military in general. I think you have to be pretty strong to be a spouse of someone in the military and especially at this level. And so um, it's a big ask. I know that. And it's, it's, it's big, but the payoff could be could yeah. be great because then you won't be sitting in the chair next to me. So, um, what month was it? It was 2018, um, October, October, October yeah. 2018. So, um, and we don't have to get into the, the details of that, but, um, your life obviously changed a hundred percent after that and your children and everything. Yeah. How have you maintained your own mental health and, assuring your kids mental health after such a traumatic tragic um event of losing your loved one I mean it has been uh it's been a very interesting path I mean I've um I got real low obviously but right afterwards but I I've pretty much done everything you could think of to heal I mean literally I have done everything, you know, hanging out with friends, avoiding friends, sleeping a lot, not sleeping. I took a trip to Bali. I obviously bought a camper van and traveled across country. I got a pet pig. I got tattoos. I did plant medicine. I went to intensive therapy for six hours a day for six days. I went on a surf retreat. I mean, I've, I've done it all. Um, and I think it really just came down to this one. It came down to love. So I think when you love someone a lot, that love will continue post-death. So it matters to me now how I live my life because it's also kind of how I loved him. I also have two children and they were 14 and 17 when their dad died. And that's a pretty pivotal age for any kid. And I pretty much sat them down and said, you know, you can either let this like destroy and define you or you get to choose how you carry it. And we get to choose. Um, we all choose to carry it a little differently and that's totally fine with me. Um, but we've been fairly open with each other and in a very unique way, I feel like the three of us have given each other the space and the grace to kind of figure it out on our own. And, you know, more than anything, I want my kids to just know that this is one, this is a chapter in their story and they have a whole life ahead of them. And it's a backpack they carry that they don't necessarily ever get to put down, but they can be really strong while they carry it and still do really hard, really amazing, really great things in their life. Um, and so I try, I always say live big. That's kind of like my motto, but I am trying to live big in my life so that they, whether we talk about it or not, you have children, your kids are always watching you. Yeah. And the way that they're watching me and the way they observe me is, is the biggest responsibility I have. And, and, um, I don't take it lightly. So and we did establish a workout in Chad's name. So, uh, you know, some of your listeners might have known it's called Chad 1000X. And we do it each year right around Veterans Day. So as most workouts fall on the death anniversary, Chad's was the end of October. This workout has a lot, doesn't have as much to do with Chad, even though it's his name. Um, it, it has more to do with our current military who might be struggling. And it's a thousand step ups on a 20 inch box with a 45 pound pack. And that's what Chad did uh, to train for mountains. He did a whole bunch of stuff, but that's one of the things he did kind of on repeat. And 
And as I've said, a thousand step ups, it's not technical. Anybody can do it. 45 pounds is a lot. It's going to get heavy pretty quick. A thousand is a lot. It's a lot of volume, but you can't necessarily do it quickly. It's just a mental push. And I think it's a really good poetic representation of doing a physical task while getting some insight on where does your mind wander for an hour when you're kind of doing this monotonous task. And um, we highlighted around Veterans Day. We hope people will take to that on Veterans Day to to just show their support um, for our military. And um, yeah, they can register chad1000x.com and and join us at some of the bigger locations in Virginia Beach and San Diego and Jacksonville. And, and I hope that in the future, we can bring some more stories in of those that we've lost yeah. um, and highlight their, their life and their legacy and, and really just encouraging others to, to not follow this path, to ask for help. So it's like the Murph, like mm-hmm. the Murph yeah. is right. on, um, Memorial Day, uh, yeah, right? Memorial Day, and um, um, and now this is for Chad. But to really think of all veterans yeah. and and really their families too. I mean, you, totally, you're the one that's affected by this, you know, and your kids. Right. It's yes, we're honoring him and everything that we that he went through, but we're also really having to. To me, you are who I think of. Because you're the one that still has to carry that backpack. So, right. uh, and, yeah. and your kids. It, it, it makes, makes me cry just thinking about your kids. But, and it's not that it's a sad thing. It's just that it's so hard, you know, that mm-hmm. that, that got taken from them. But at the same time, it's not their dad's fault. There was an injury that happened. And there's nothing that, like we were talking about earlier, yes, there might be signs. But what can you really do to... Right. To fix it. If you're in that little window, that time frame of like, okay, something's wrong with my husband. I don't know mm-hmm. what it is, but there is some, something is wrong. Mm-hmm. There's, it's like watching a car wreck. You, you can't do anything about it. And right. I'm, my heart breaks for you. Just sorry. You. I get emotional. <laughs> sorry. Uh-huh. Um, but I love what you've what you've continued to do to honor him and by helping others by by taking the time and just learning the research and what can we do to help you know point out signs and what are the things that we can do to help some of the guys and girls that have had TBIs and that yeah. kind of stuff and just and really the people that will be to come. I mean, there's yeah. still yeah, there's people that are, more, that are huh? coming, you yeah. know, down the pipeline and, you know, how you're raising awareness and, and teaching people that, you know, you can, like you said, like you told your kids, you can let this define you and it can bring you down and take you down a different path or you can use it and like make your life or maybe the next person's life better for it and yeah. try to be positive and bring all the good things out that you can from it. Mm-hmm. So I like that's the hope. That's what you're that's what you're doing. I mean, yeah. So I love that you are continuing to do that. Are your kids into CrossFit? No, they're not. (laughs) (laughs) Not really. I mean, they they've done it from time to time, but Mm -hmm. they're not like hardcore into it. Yeah, they never really. They've been in a CrossFit gym since they were like three. So they're just like, um, not that. Our kids are they the only, exact same way. Like they have zero interest in anything military or I think it yeah. maybe it might hit them at some point one day, but they've just, you know, whether it's Marcus or Morgan, you know, they're kind of surrounded by the legacy of of military yeah. and they just don't have any interest <laughs> in being hit. But yeah. um, there's something about like when you're around something a lot, you know, it's not a novelty. So yeah. even my kids, you know, they, they're like Navy SEALs. Okay. Yeah. What? You know, yeah. that's <laughs> just, just, it's, um, yeah. My kids are like, what's it, what's the big deal about it? Like mm-hmm. we actually took them to Coronado two years ago on vacation. We rented a van and drove out mm-hmm. there from Texas 22 hours. That was long for us. So I can't imagine mm. what you're doing in your van. Long, yeah. Um, but uh, 
we were we actually got to walk on the strand and um or on the beach and we saw the the bud students running and carrying the boats and axe our son we named our son after matt axelson that uh, died in red wing um he's like dad look at those guys <clears throat> they look awesome and i go axe that's exactly what dad did when he was he's that like, age oh. and he goes no he didn't <laughs> <laughs> he just looked at marcus he's, he's like, like i don't cool. believe that yeah he's <laughs> like you didn't do that you couldn't have done that you're old <laughs> they just don't see their I mean, dad like that yeah, when it's your all. dad like and i'm like yeah and then those guys like later on, because we were out there for a little while, um, we actually got to go see some of the um, SQT guys do a dive, and they saw Marcus there, and they're like, oh, "Marcus, you know, they wanted to go and talk to him, the SQT yeah. guy, STT, whatever they're calling it now, and uh, and they all wanted to talk to Marcus and Axe and Addy were like, "Why do y'all want to talk to my dad? <laughs> he just yeah. didn't get it." <laughs> yeah. He gets no cool points. Yeah, on family no, home. Bro. He has no cool points. But it's funny, like when our kids grow up in it, they just don't, they don't, they don't understand it. But um, yeah, probably best. Yeah. yeah, probably best. So how can we help you and um in your journey and what you're doing? And I mean, just continue to talk to people and advocate for for our veterans that are struggling and. Um, you know, help us support people registering for Chad 1000X. So I partnered with GORUP. Um, funds raised go to a nonprofit I've started called the Step Up Foundation. And the Step Up Foundation takes funds and give it gives it to actional programs to help treat or offset TBI, PTS, blast wave injury, as well as supporting families. So uh, we hope to support uh, organization called Sound Off this year who started an anonymous app that veterans can speak to a clinician or a battle buddy as well as uh, send two people um, on a I did it last year it's an organization called Operation Canyon Rising and they take a small group of people um, uh, rim to rim of the Grand Canyon it was it was a pretty cathartic experience for me. They have you go down into the canyon, uh, and these are either wounded veterans or gold star spouses, and that's to represent what you've gone through. Oh, wow. We spend two days at the bottom of the canyon, and there's a therapist there kind of talking about what we've been through. And when we hike out of the canyon, he times it so you climb out on September 11th, and that's to represent how you're going to overcome it. Oh, wow. Last year, when we did it on the 20th anniversary, we carried part of the World Trade Center with us. Oh, my god! So we all took turns carrying it. And, um, and so that's Step called Up what? Hopes to fund two oh. people going on that next year. But anyway, Chad1000x.com. They register, uh, can do the workout, or come do it with me in Virginia Beach in San Diego or Jacksonville, Florida. The dates are up there. And uh, funds raised will go to programs that help veterans. Are you encouraging um, CrossFit gyms across the nation to do it? Or are you wanting them to go to these specific gyms? I would love for people to come to these events, but we realize we're only doing it in three cities this year. Last year, we did five cities. Many gyms kind of take to this workout to include, you know, Orange Theory and Burn Boot Camp and anywhere, people's garages, mm -hmm. Um it's really great when people come together and do the workout together. Uh, that's kind of the point is. Sorry. So can like a CrossFit gym here, we're in Magnolia, Texas, um, sign up on the uh, Chad 1000X and actually become a registered gym or are you not doing that? Yeah, we're working on that. If people have questions, they can email Steven, S like Steven, S-T-E-V-A-N mm -hmm. at GoRuff.com. Okay. And uh, have Jim sign up and order some bulk patches and hopefully we could get your name listed on the website. That would be awesome. We would really love for this to build in momentum. Um, much like you mentioned Murph, Murph earlier, mm -hmm. people yeah. really take to that as I have many years on yeah, Memorial Day make this our Veterans Day workout to speak for our veterans that are still with us awesome. that we want to keep with us. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Anything that we can do to help support and um, God bless you. And Thank I, you. Um, I'm, I don't know you, but I just want to give you a hug and I, I'm so yeah. proud of we'll everything. We'll hug one day. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure we're passing across. So, so. Um, and I hope we keep in touch. Are you on social media? Do you do any of that? I 
Yeah, yeah. My Instagram is Sarah Wilkinson Seven, Sarah S A R A, and then uh, the Step Up Foundation has a page too on okay. Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm not as savvy on Facebook. I'll be really honest. But, I don't do uh, Facebook. <laughs> but I'm out there. You can find me. Okay. Um, awesome. Well, yeah. so we have all of that plugged. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate your time. Thank you. And have a safe Thanks. drive I'm down hitting to the road. San Diego. Yeah. Yes. Have fun. <laughs> yeah, have a good all time. Right. Thank you. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.